Hello and welcome back to the Iron Duke Podcast. This is just a very quick disclaimer before we start the episode that this was recorded before the Auckland floods and cyclone Gabriel making a large impact on the economy. So please take that to account while you listen. Yeah, no, the reply guys in, in tweets, that's quite something. Get I'll, off Twitter. Why would, you be a, why would you be a reply guy? Just have original content. But like, I get smashed on Twitter and I just couldn't kill less. Yeah. These are not real people. They're not real people. David Cunliffe remains about as popular in the Labour caucus as a pussycat at Gareth Morgan's house. Look, this is a la-la budget. When my eyebrow goes up, it's a joke. The police still arrest criminals in New Zealand. We've tried cannabis prohibition for the past 40 years. The fact is, that was a boring, useless speech. Zip it, sweetie, I'm getting there. Mr. Speaker, they say a week is a long time in politics. Happy New Year and welcome back to the Iron Duke Podcast, your weekly recap of all things policy and politics, where we run you through our peaks and our pits, interesting bits and anything that fits from Aotearoa and around the globe. After a much extended summer break, we are back in studio. I am with Principal Consultant Byron Terrace. Hello, Maddie. It's great to be back on the Iron Duke Podcast for 2023. This week, it's just you and me, and we're going to recap everything that's happened in January and the little bit of February we've had so far. I mean, we've had resignations, a cabinet reshuffle. We've had an indication of new policy directions. The new Prime Minister's out and about, and Chris Luxon was wearing a hat. We've got so much to talk about, Maddie. so let's just kick it off. Let's start with the resignation. I was abroad when Ardern and announced that she was stepping down after a long five years as our Prime Minister and like many Kiwis I found that press conference really hard to watch. There mm. was a person who had given us everything for five years, getting up there with a real vulnerability and and, and just, just being transparent. She's burnt out. There was nothing left in the tank. How would you like, how would you like New Zealanders to remain you as Prime Minister? As someone who always tried to be kind. I was actually, you know, taking a, taking a sick day. I thought, oh, I might have a quiet day, had a nasty sinus infection at the time, and all of a sudden I'm on the phone with parents or something, or whatever it is, and phone's blowing up, it's happening, Jacinda's resigning, you're watching the press conference in the middle of the night in the UK, press conference is going off, boom, it's happening, and what was really interesting to me was the amount of people who aren't in our world, who aren't in the mm. policy world, who are just the average Joes out there doing, doing things in the real world, unlike us. Actually, saying, "Whoa, this is a bit. Of, this is a bit of a moment." And I thought, "Wow, this person, no matter what your opinion of her is politically, she was uh, a bit of a representative of of some form of celebritism and stardom around the leadership of this country that we haven't really seen. Not only the leadership before. of this country, but the country more broadly. Like, I think she put us on the world stage in a way mm. that we we have, you know, we've we've known it was a thing, but being abroad and really experiencing it there. John Key went on the Colby show, so um, that put us on the map. It hasn't been that same controversy that surrounded Key when he." resigned which was you know is there the affair where's he heading blah 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 people have taken what she said on face value and rightly so one thing I do want to touch on though the absolute online vitriol that she has experienced uh, it's been unlike any prime minister in our history and to be honest unlike any modern leader that I can that I can probably think of at her core Jacinda Ardern was a was a great person and she was a great leader and some of what she faced in those last few months, and, and to be honest, probably post-COVID, I don't ever think any person should have to put up with. Every Prime Minister faces their fair share of, of shit. No, not to this extent. Uh, I remember the I remember extent. the anti-Semitic remarks. I remember the swastikas drawn all over Keys posters, all that kind of stuff. So I think... It, being, you, Byron, you know for a fact. And I can't say anything because, you know, there's a whole gender, gender question here, and I can't say that Key faced the same amount, blah, blah, blah. I think it was elevated. I think it was more than normal, and I don't think anyone should ever have to go through that, and I don't think that's the standard of politics that we want no. in our country. 
I want to say that there was one thing she explicitly ruled out, which I I disagree with. She said, I'm not standing down because of polling. And at the end of the day, Jacinda Ardern is a politician. Mm. That's what she is. And she was put on a pedestal. And as I said, she reached a certain level of celebrity and stardom, which, yes, encouraged the trolls to have a crack and all that kind of stuff. Started to work against Fair enough. her. Started to work against her. And she stood down when the polls started to go the opposite way. The first poll that came out, a Curia poll in January, showed her net favourables in the negatives for the first time in that series of polling. Then, And I'm not saying that's the poll, I'm just saying that it started to turn. Well, it's a catch-22, right? So when you start to poll really poorly, that means less people like you, which means you're probably receiving a lot more hate. So, you know, she was, she was, was, you're right, she was on that really tough and slippery slope, and perhaps she just really didn't know how to, how to get out of that. What do you believe her legacy will be? I believe her legacy will be the best crisis management that could possibly happen in New Zealand. Totally agree. And that is not, oh, she was nice and she was a figurehead. No, 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 no. It is clear communication from someone in a leadership position. It is super crisp. And yes, this is people are going to hate this. Yes, it is empathetic. You actually reassure people when you're up there and you can speak confidently. And it's decisive decision making, right? Yep. And that's something that we've seen. We can talk about Auckland a bit later, but that's what we've seen, a real lack of a figurehead for people to turn to. I personally can't think of much of a better legacy to want to leave a country. What I thought you know, was really going to put the nail in the coffin of her being a, a truly inspirational leader in New Zealand's history. And don't get me wrong, she's been no longy in terms of policy reform. She's been no bolger in terms of, you know, how she's really shaped the future trajectory of our country. But she has shaped what we look for in a leader. And I thought her parting gift to New Zealand could have been a really transformational Prime Minister. What? Do we think she's done that? What? She's interested in transformation. She over, she oversaw no big change in her policy address anywhere. The what ambition, gave you that, what the ambition gave you, was there. I have an ambition to be a billionaire. Yeah, you're still sitting across from me, buddy. Exactly, that's my point. Exactly, that's my point. No, I, I honestly thought she could have left us with the first Māori gay female Prime Minister. That's what I was excited for. From oh, Kerry Allen. Yeah, right. absolutely. And instead, we have been left with kind of the... Red Chris. Well, the continuation candidate. We've got Red Chris versus Blue Chris. That consensus has emerged and they have indicated uh, that they will support me uh, to be the party's next leader and therefore the next Prime Minister. So Chris Hipkins uh, became our new Prime Minister on January the 25th, being sworn in. And this change of leader of the Labour Party was one of the most seamless changes in leadership any political party has had in recent times. There was no infighting that kind of spilled out into the open. There was no uh, aggressive contest between candidates. It was quick and easy. Well, supposedly they'd been focus grouping it all through December. Oh. Just quietly between us. So it was about the polling. Mm. So Hipkins becomes the new Prime Minister. He signals that he's going to build a closer relationship with business. He signals a policy reset. And he signals that he's going to do everything I do and was signalling she well, was yeah, going to look, do anyway. He's jumped in and he has taken the narrative in the new year like we've never seen a political party do before. And no kind of transition of leadership have we seen this. But also what we have to remember is it's the start of the year. Mm. He who has... They, election year. They who have control at the start of the year, of an election year, will really kind of maintain the narrative and, and, and hold the reins going through. He's made it clear that he wants to pull them to the centre. 
And if he's got the momentum, right, I, I, I think once he starts to chuck some of those reform agendas onto the bonfire, I think the poll numbers will start to shift. The first two polls of the year, a uh, One News Cantar and a uh, News Hub Read Research, showed that Labor gained roughly about 5% on this. That's an, whoa, a 5% jump in one polling period. New leader. Whoa, that's really interesting. Todd Muller, when yeah. he became leader of the Labor National Party, got nine points. I know. Nine point bump. So but just that was changing. off the back of Judith Collins. Uh, no, it was off the back of Simon Bridges. Judith was the saviour oh, after true, Todd Muller. True, Can yeah. you believe that? Gosh, what a wild time for that team. Anyway, so the bump that Hipkins got bringing the two poles between the centre-left and centre-right block basically neck and neck was not actually that significant when you compare it with other leadership changes, other significant leadership changes of major parties. And I think, uh, you know, that, that kind of, uh, that shocked me. I was, I was actually expecting it to go the opposite direction. I, Did I, you? I thought that, whoa, you know. You th- hate Chris that much? No, no, no. I wasn't anything against uh, Red Chris. It was Red Chris has got a good brand. Red Chris is a yeah, babyface killer. That's what he is. He is a babyface killer. I don't know what that means. He's an unassuming kind of political operative. This is a guy who's an absolute political operative. It's politics in his blood, and to his credit, he made the claim that being a career politician is a fantastic thing because he knows how to navigate the public service. Great, gross, gross, gross. Um, I've said this publicly already. Ardern was a politician for the people. Hipkins will be a politician for the politics. Correct. Totally agree. This is the guy who asked questions in the New Zealand Parliament on behalf of the Australian Labour Party to get Barnaby Joyce, the then Deputy Prime Minister of Australia, sacked. Yeah, well, the Australian Labour Party's a large donor of the New Zealand Labour Party, so you can start to understand that. (laughs) Jesus. Anyway, so this is a guy who's made his entire career around politics. Uh, He's risen to the top. Uh, He's one of the government's most effective ministers, best guy for the job, in in my opinion. How's he going to go? How do you you think he's going to be perceived? Well, I think the big question is how does he reset New Zealand for a recession? What people actually want to see is some real economic chops from the Labour Party. And I think his greatest ally or biggest enemy is going to be the move of Adrian Orr going into particularly the next few months. Inflation's still running really hot. I think for Hipkins, everything's going to be about messaging. Everything's going to be about convincing people that what New Zealanders are currently experiencing in their back pocket is a global phenomenon. And having been, you know, travelling about over the summer, it absolutely is. So, in other words, he's going to have to tell New Zealanders that the problems you face every day aren't unique. Stop whinging. Yeah, and you're not special, basically. Look, the OCR is set to go up on the 22nd of February. It's likely that they'll go up by 100 basis points in an effort to just smash kind of inflation straight in the teeth so that by the time we're in that regulator period, you know, that three months before an election where people are really... Period of restraint. Period of restraint. So by the time we're really starting to think about where we're casting our votes, that is the time that interest rates are going to start to drop. The interesting thing about what Adrian Orr is doing by bumping interest rates up so rapidly, he's saying it's in an attempt to dampen inflation. Now, something a lot of his predecessors have done and and other kind of controllers of monetary policy abroad have done, they're going to bump up by another full basis points. People on 3% mortgages are going to be coming off onto 7% mortgages. And by the time we enter that three-month period where people are deciding who they are going to vote for, interest rates are going to start to fall and people are going to feel like the clouds are clearing and it's going to be another Wellington on a good day. I think we're in for a bit longer recession that I think the wealth effect of falling house prices plus um, higher mortgage rates for that 11% period of time. 11% on groceries as well. Yeah, and rising food prices uh, will actually dampen confidence 
uh, in New Zealand, and I don't think it's going to go away by July uh, of this year. I think July, middle of winter, is going to be part of the worst. I'm not saying it's going to go away. I'm just going to say interest rates will start to fall as we enter that October election period. Like that will be the plan. That is that is that is all Hipkins can do to prove that he has the economic management chops. I, I okay. So let's let's conflate economic management with other things here. The bonfire that was the Labor Party's kind of policy manifesto had been long signalled and nothing on there came as a massive surprise to either of us? No, I, I think the only one that slightly surprised me was the biofuels mandate and the reason is I, people kind of forgot about it's it. It's kind of a good thing to do as well and they're already being smacked by their Green Party colleagues on it. Let's start with the RNZ TVNZ merger. That was the most obvious one to go. Gone burger. No one could say why we're doing this. No one could kind of put up a really good defence on it. Willie Jackson got really angry when he talked about it. Deep sixed goodbye. Why we were doing it was it was just another big government plan, and that, that's what a lot of this policy has been about. Let's chime into three waters because that's the same. Another big government plan that is not gone, but is gone back to the drawing board well, of the Prime, cabinet office. Prime Minister Hipkins is saying things like, "Ah, well, we'll see. Ah, there's more work to be done there. Oh, it's a bit murky now. It's a bit kind of clear as mud. We're not too sure what's going to happen with three waters." Um, hate speech. I don't know why they bothered with that. It was a strange one. Again, it was a bit of an orphan. Um, subsequent justice ministers struggled to articulate what it was they were trying to do, why they were strengthening well, it. it was actually Goldrose's bill, and it came out of um, the inquiry into the mosque attack, so I'm very unsure why that got cancelled. Were people going to make up their mind on the election on the basis of the hate speech legislation? I don't think so. I think it became one of the two hard baskets for the government to explain, and Chris Hipkins is clearing the decks right now for the election, and so that's what he needed to do. And lastly, he was also indicating that he needs to get closer to business, closer to uh, the private sector, and deep-sixed the social insurance scheme. Which, for those of you out there who don't understand what that was, it's kind of similar to your ACC levy, which you don't realise you pay, but it's another couple of percent in tax that you pay every week, fortnightly, month, whatever, so that if you have an accident, you get compensation. But here it was going to be like, if you lose your job, you get compensation. It and, was and a white-collar welfare policy. It really policy. was a middle-class welfare policy that was putting a uh, an extra charge on your tax bill and kind of doesn't really have a place in our social welfare system. So that's gone. What's coming next, Maddie? Well, we've already seen the increase in minimum wage. Another dollar fifty, bring us up to twenty two seventy an hour, which means we now have the highest percentage of the average wage as our minimum wage in the OECD. So it's a bit conflicting here because he said we're scrapping everything that doesn't address the cost of living crisis. I want to get closer to the business community. I'm increasing minimum wage. I'm increasing your costs as a business. And for small businesses now, that's going to be a tough one to swallow. This is not going to be the last of the bonfire. This is the brazier that is going to sit on your patio all winter long and you're just going to throw stuff on it when you've got waste to get rid of. Yeah, I look forward to warming up on the next bonfire. It's going to be fun. <laughs> Let's talk about the rest of his team. Carmel Cipollone coming in as the deputy made a huge amount of sense. Lo and behold, she was actually the numbers woman for both Andrew Little and David Cunliffe before her. So the fact that she was doing the roundup for Chippy, which by the sounds of it didn't seem like it took a hell of a lot of work, it makes a whole lot of sense. The interesting part about them is as a duo is it's your classic Auckland Wellington buddy system and we have seen that for a long time now we've seen you know Ardern and Robertson Key and English Luxon and Willis if you win Auckland you win New Zealand and what you've got to remember is that she also brings a really really strong diversity narrative to the table she was a natural successor into that deputy role 
Exactly. Um, a lot of the top five remain the same. Uh, I feel like I'm reading. A, I feel like I'm reading a sports team out here. Yeah, starting eleven. Uh, you know, top ten, all that kind of stuff. Um, front bench remains relatively the same. Kelvin Davis staying at number three. There, number four coming in. Grant Robertson, the previous deputy prime minister, loses infrastructure, however, to number five, Megan Woods, uh, one of the government's top performers and the Labor Party campaign manager. I think. Everything that's played out over the last few weeks signals that Robertson bows out when they, if, if they, if they do not win the election. Yeah. Him going list only in Wellington Central. Yeah. Talk, let's talk about Wellington Central next week. It's too much. There's it's just too much. There's too just much happening there. So much going on. Um, as well as losing that large portfolio. But however, again, this is a continuity cabinet. This is a continuity prime minister and a continuity team. It made sense for him to stay in that finance role. That's right. And uh, Also, also, did, would they have anyone else? If I said, if I said, gun to your head right now, replace Grant Robertson, who are you picking? Michael Wood. Oh, yeah. Straight away. Yep, yeah. straight away. Um, that man can say anything and I'd buy it. He's an excellent salesman. He's an excellent retail politician. He looks like a used car salesman. And that's why I'm saying he's an he excellent salesman. Like, he looks like I'd a politician buy that car. I'd of buy that car. The Simpsons. The slick hair, the stupid blue suit, the bright red God, tie. He speaks so well. And the fact that he's not our next Prime Minister, we're probably quite lucky. We'll talk about that in just a second. Coming in, number six, blew my mind. This one blew my mind. Jan Tanetti. Jan Tanetti. Jan Tanetti, former Minister of Internal Affairs at number 16 in the cabinet, last uh, last cabinet. This time, she's up 10 places to number 6. Nice. That's outrageous. And she's taken on the education portfolio, which was Chris Hipkins' kind of pride and joy. She's yeah. been in the associate underneath right. him for a little while, maybe they're buddies, I don't know. I don't hang out in she's the Labour Party. She's an ex-principal, so Cafeteria. she knows schools. I don't know who sits with them at the, yeah. Yeah, Copperfields, right? Uh, so, yeah, Tanetti at number six. And taking education is a massive portfolio. It's not an easy job. Education, you've got uh, teachers and the unions. <laughs> you've got all sorts of issues with school infrastructure. Yep. You, they've just reformed Resilience. the curriculum. That's a tough one for a newbie and to take. She's not exactly there to set the world on fire. Who else is in the lineup? Uh, number seven, Michael Wood. I think there was a deal done here. Oh, 100%. I'm going to put this on record. Kitty Allen and Michael Wood did a deal because those two could have been a very powerful ticket in either order, might I add. Yeah, A lot I of agree. people said yeah. Kitty Allen was not ready. I beg to differ. So I think there was a deal done. Michael Wood picks up Minister for Auckland. What does that mean? Have we had one before? We have, actually. Yes, we have. I think he is the guy to solve Auckland's bits and bobs and problems and also tell Wayne Brown what to do and where to stick it. Next up on the list then, Aisha Viral, and she's picked up health. Now, interesting thing about the health portfolio, no one has managed to hold on to that for more than a term since Annette King. Uh, no, Labour. No one in Labour. No Labour minister. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Now, she is up against more issues than even the newcomer, uh, side character, special guest appearance, Jan Tanetti. She also has the, the unions and the infrastructure issues, yep. but it's also at the forefront of a lot of Kiwis' minds. We've got people dying in EDs. We've got a hugely under-resourced system. We're trying to reform the entire thing, and she's up against the immigration settings as well. Yeah. She is really up for it. Like That is a portfolio that needs a proven policy performer, someone who understands management, someone who understands union negotiations, budgets. budgets. There's a huge amount there that I think she's going to struggle with. The fact that that portfolio doesn't have like five different associates blows my mind. And like, we can't stress this enough. Being in the top 10 of the cabinet is, these are your high performers. These are your top team. She's These are your school prefects. She's at number. You were in a school prefect day. Oh, I was too arrogant. Uh, she was. She's number eight. This is huge. Mm. And back to your meteoric rise. 
very, very big sink or swim moment. Rounding out the top ten in cabinet is Kerry Allen. Mm. And you think she's a future leader of the lab, huh? Oh, absolutely. I've gone on record and said this as well. Again, female, Māori, rural, gay, yep. you know, cancer survivor, yep. has shown that same sparkle that Ardern has when mm. it comes to crisis management and leadership, which is, hey, I'm right here with you. And, yeah. and that's a really, really hard brand to start to warm up. So I think, again, to your point, perhaps a deal was done there. However, there's something about Ardern that we used to talk about. There was Ardern, and then there was Thin Air, and then there was kind of Robertson, Hipkins, Woods, and then there was Thin Air, and then there was everyone else. There was never anyone chomping at her heels. Mm. Chris Hipkins, that's pretty different. Yeah, I agree. And in the same way at the moment, I don't think there's anyone chomping at Luxon's heels. Oh, which, Blue Chris. Which we can talk about Blue Chris next. I wouldn't be so secure if I was Chris Hipkins. I wouldn't. Interesting. So how do you think Blue Chris is going? Blue Chris is now looking at Blue Red Chris. Blue Chris is having a disaster. Yeah, he's not going that well at the Blue moment. Blue Chris needs to shake the man of the people image because he's, he's going to go tat for tat with Red Chris on this. I think he needs to shake that image and just rebrand him and the Nats as being incredibly competent. That small target campaign is not going to work for much longer. They need to come out with some really strong policy ahead of the Labour Party. Very good point. Uh, I, yeah, I, I do think Blue Chris needs to sort out the, just, just his whole kind of demeanour. When he's in front of the media, he feels like he can get quite standoffish. And it's like, just relax your shoulders, get some good advice. He is stick, getting good advice. He's getting great your, advice. Stick to your lines. Just chill. Because all I see is, you know, just, just today, News Hub asking him to clarify things he said over and over again. What did you mean by this? What did you mean by this? Once that train starts, it's very hard to so stop it. So once you have policy, you can say what you mean by that? Because yeah. at the moment, it's Correct. still very slogan heavy, and their five-point economic plan hasn't quite been fleshed out in its entirety yet. Like it's most people vibrant, wouldn't, wouldn't necessarily know what it is. No. They're both after the middle ground, and I think what's going to hold both of them back, and this is, this is the irony, you know, when you've got two clawing for the centre, is they're being pulled each way by their potential coalition partners yep. where do you think the Greens are at the moment I feel like they've completely lost the narrative I think I think they're all at sea I think they've forgotten about and uh, that was really evidenced by Chloe Swarbrick calling for rent freezes and rent controls straight after the floods it was hey here's a uh, here's a big bad thing that's just happened to my city I'm going to grab one of our policies and just say this is why we need it, not because of any actual logic. Oh, kind of makes sense. Well, rent controls are the second best way to destroy a city after a nuclear bomb. What it showed to me is that they're just kind of fine, trying to find oxygen. Listen to us. We're still relevant. You know, you've got a bunch of high-profile candidates. You've got Julianne Genta standing here in Rongatai. They're going to stand Tamitha Paul here in Wellington Central. Um, James she'll, she'll Shaw. Awesome. James Shaw said he's not going to stand, which I found quite interesting. I thought he would have a real shot at the Wellington Central electorate. But I'm, I'm just kind of I'm struggling to see where they fit in. They're just kind of out there yelling. Same with the ACT Party at the moment, to be fair. But I think the ACT Party have oxygen when they yell. I think that's the real point of difference. I think they are getting heard. Um, Thomas Coughlin had a really good piece. He talks about how we often misunderstand the relationship between Labour and the Greens and National Act and about how they are not mirror relationships of each other. Mm. James Shaw has gone on record and said, you know, uh, we don't do well with our voter base when we criticise our turn in the Labour Party, so we don't do it. Oh. You know, they work in much closer partnership. 
any chance David Seymour gets to throw mud at his blue friends, he absolutely does it. And, you know, I think that's what starts to keep political parties accountable. And it also, like, that's what MMP was about. Yeah, that's It was right. about diversity of thought and it was about a strong contest of ideas. And I, I would love us to reach a, a, a stage of political maturity or d- democratic maturity where political parties are tense all the time. Yeah, we don't like that in New Zealand. Our, no, brand, our brand of politics is it's pretty soft when you compare it even across the ditch. Mm. He had a big go at both Chris's saying that, you know, two sides of the same coin and that, you know, he's the only they one are, in real they, I and, think he's spot on there. And he's not afraid to have a crack, which I like. And then, of course, looming in the background, just under 5%. Is, don't, he's, don't. He's here. I think the boringness of the two, lead, two main leaders is actually going to open up a little bit for our old mate Winnie Payne. Only if he receives a platform and I would like to hope that this is an election that's going to be fought on the contest of ideas that will bring New Zealand forward, not one based around personality politics and that's all he brings to the table. Gosh, this is only two months in 2023, only in the second month. We've still got nine-ish to go before October election. Can I ask you something point blank? Sure. Do you think it's going to be Chris v Chris on October the 14th? Yes. You really? Yeah, I think it's going to be blue Chris, red Chris. What do you want to put on it? Pravda scorn. Pravda scorn. Pravda scorn. Right, shake on it? Yep, shake on it. Right, listeners, until then, we'll we'll see see you next week. week.